Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, folks. Welcome to another new episode of the podcast. This one is number 627 and it's called Emina's Long Journey to English Proficiency. So this is a conversation with my friend Emina Tuzovic, who has learned English to a proficient level as a non-native speaker of the language. I'm so impressed by her because she's achieved so much in her learning. She says it's been a long journey. Let's find out all about that journey of English learning in this conversation recorded at the London School of English just a few days ago. Before we get started properly, I'd just like to mention my podcast sponsor, that's italki. If you're looking for one-to-one teachers, or at least just one one-to-one teacher, if you're looking for one one-to-one teacher, how many teachers is that, Luke? Eleven? No, just one. If you're looking for one, we get it, Luke. Anyway, um, italki could be the service for you. They've got more than five million people learning languages on their platform, and it's recommended by People like Benny Lewis from Fluent in Three Months and Forbes magazine and BBC News and Mashable and The Guardian and TechCrunch and stuff like that. Loads of people are using it. It's a very well-established platform. Say no more, Luke, you're thinking. Okay, I won't. All I'll say is that when you buy some talking time with a uh, teacher that you find on their platform, italki will send you a voucher for a free lesson. Okay, it's convenient. It's affordable. It's professional. Check out italki by going to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or just click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I hope you're doing well. Now, today on Luke's English Podcast, I'm talking to my friend Emina Tuzovic. Did I say it correctly? Yes, Luke, it's perfect. I got it right. Uh, Emina is an English teacher, friend of mine. And for ages and ages, I've been meaning to have Emina on this podcast for three main reasons. Hmm. Okay. Uh, reason number one is that Emina is absolutely lovely. And it's just nice to spend time talking with her. And plus, there's plenty I'd like to find out from her. I'm, I'm talking about you in the third person when you're sitting right in front of me. I know, it's weird. It's very weird. So there's plenty of things I'd like to find out from you that I never, I've never really asked you before, mm-hmm. right? So things about your career and about learning English and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, and that is the benef- that's a benefit of this podcast for me. It gives me a chance to have in-depth conversations that often just don't happen otherwise. It's great. Yeah. So that's the first reason. The second reason is that Emina is a non-native speaker of English who's learnt the language to a proficient level, good enough to do things like a master's degree and a PhD and to teach English at a high level, <laughs> um, to deliver workshops and seminars and just to live in the UK for a good length of time. So uh, she must have some valuable insights and experiences about learning English 
because she's done it herself. There, there I go again, referring to you in the third person. Uh, is that the third person? She? That is, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Okay, good. Amina's the sort of person who knows all these, <laughs> these things. So um, Amina's, you know, been there and done that and got the t-shirt. So uh, she, I'm sure she's got lots of good things to share. And thirdly, Amina is a very well-qualified and experienced English teacher. And so I'm sure that she has loads of insights into learning English from that point of view as well, including certain areas of specialist knowledge as a result of academic studies, including things like the challenges faced by native speakers of Arabic when they learn English. Now, I've never talked about Arabic speakers of English on this podcast before, not specifically. So hello to all my Arabic speaking listeners. Or should that be, and now I'm going to try and say a word in Arabic, uh, Mahaban. Mahaban. I've got a, hit, uh, a record of saying words in other languages terribly badly, like mangling other, other people's languages on this podcast. Anyway, hello to our, and my Arabic-speaking listeners. As I said, it's been quite hard to pin Imina down and interview her, mainly because our timetables are different. I live in Paris, she lives in London, and also because she goes to bed so early in the evening. So um, it's been quite difficult to arrange a time. But thankfully, the universe has finally allowed it to happen here at the London School of English in Holland Park in London. That's where this is being recorded. This is where I used to work and where Emina still does work. Uh, so the aim here is to have a long-ish na- natural conversation with Emina, touching on topics like learning English, cultural differences in the UK, teaching English and her academic studies in linguistics. Right. So, hello, Emina. How are you today? I'm feeling very well. Yeah, good. Yes, yes. I'm feeling very well. You? you I'm okay? fine. Yeah, it's nice to be back. Yeah, yeah. It's really nice to see you. I haven't seen you now like for about two years. Yes, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very nice to be here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was just asking you before. Have you ever done a podcast? Well, you, you listen to podcasts, but I do. Have you ever done one? No, no, I haven't. No. Okay. Yeah, how, I, how does it feel to be I podcasting? It's really, really, um, I'm really excited. So thank you for, for inviting me, first of all. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit nervous, but I'll do my best, I promise. What, what are you nervous about? What, what's the worst, what's the worst that could happen? I don't know. I don't know. It's just like when you're yeah. here, everything will be fine. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. I'll, I'll look <laughs> after you. So here we are at the London School of English. It's nice to be back and to see some familiar faces. I don't know if, how familiar you are with my episodes, but this is quite a sort of personal podcast. Okay. And so the listeners know me quite well because I mm-hmm. do share things about my life. So it's, it's good to start, I think, by talking about how we know each other and perhaps some background into our relationship. Mm-hmm. And also random tangents are always welcome. In fact, they're to be expected and are sort of encouraged. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how do we know each other then? I think we met in two thousand and eight or 2009 probably 2008 eight yeah i reckon um, yeah was it the same time that andy joined yes okay yes it yeah. was just basically andy joined perhaps like um a few months before i started so right. yeah okay so we know each other from work basically from from working together yeah being in the teacher's room together and, yeah. and stuff like that um i have to say those were still like one of my favorite like years of my life I just we had so much fun um it it, it feels like I don't know when I see you it's just like I felt really nostalgic like it's as if we like grew up together it feels like that yeah it does feel like that somehow working here I don't know it must be the same in other schools but somehow working here is quite a sort of um formative formative yeah yeah, formative experience that that um the standards are quite high 
And there's quite a lot of support in terms of training and things like that. So you do make progress as a teacher. Also, it's quite tough to to, to teach classes here sometimes compared to other schools just because of the standards. So everyone kind of goes through this quite formative experience. Yeah. So yeah, we went through that together. Do you do you remember any any like funny moments or anything? Do you remember we used to have communal computers? So yeah. four computers and then we would kind of have to arrange who's going to use the computer. Yeah. And I remember when I started, I know now it's just it sounds ridiculous, but you know, it was just about doable or okay to give your students like a handwritten like piece of paper, just something that you would write down like a hand. Right. Um, like, um, you know, handout, but obviously now this is just like, oh my God. And everything has to be like, uh, like really finely, uh, published, put almost yes. like published material. If you make yes. your own stuff, it's got to be really good. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is really different. And what I really enjoyed is that we used to write lessons together. Yeah. So just like liaise loads and that was so much fun. So much fun. And also just being in the teacher's room between lessons, yeah. just laughing and joking and yeah. just, and stuff like that. And just sharing funny experiences that we've had in our classes. Because yes. there's like, you know, uh, whenever I tell my other friends about like funny experiences I've had in class, they never really understand. <laughs> like they, yeah. they, they always get yeah. the wrong end of the stick and, you know, they, they, they just don't get it. It's very hard to talk to my friends about teaching English because they've got certain ideas of what it is. They don't know yeah. what we do. Um, but but yeah. with other teachers, you can kind of have fun, have a lot of fun. Yeah, I have to say my friends and family, they still think I teach in secondary school, yeah. primary school. And they always ask me, oh, so you're like on, on your summer holiday. I'm just like, no, that's the busiest you know, part of the year. You don't understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah they think in August that we're, we're on holiday. Exactly, that, yeah. yeah, they think that we teach children. Yes. They think that basically, I always think that, that, that people imagine that my job is me squatting on the floor, surrounded by four Japanese children and I've just got like three colors pieces of you know card like yeah. blue red green yeah. yay yeah. and that's it and then I have a holiday <laughs> but it's not like that is it no um, I remember things like just like the, uh, laughing about the different names that our students call us because they get our names wrong yes oh my god you're yes. Imina but do they get your name wrong oh god loads of like I, I'm always either I'm usually Emmy Emma I'm, I'm often like, okay, this is kind of understandable. I'm often Amina, um, et cetera, et cetera. Amina, but not, Amina, not yeah, Amina. Yeah, because it's like an um, Arabic, obviously the original version yeah. of the name. Yeah. Um, yeah, but also some of my colleagues like Keith. He's been referred to as Kate, which <laughs> I absolutely love. And our our former boss, Torkild. Torkild is an interesting name. It's Danish. But he used to be, they used to call him all sorts of things. Didn't someone call him fuck you once? <laughs> I've heard, I, I'm not sure. I wasn't there. I did not witness that, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think so. So I obviously I've had like Luke, Luku, Luck most of the time. And mm. obviously Ruku. Ruku. <laughs> That's still how I call you sometimes when I, I text you. <laughs> I know, I know. So uh, we have mutual colleagues who've been on this podcast. Andy Johnson, Raphael Miller, Howard. Uh, it was like in an early episode. Claudia's been in a couple of episodes. And mm. Ben Butler, who now is sort of like the boss. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, 
And okay, I mentioned at the beginning that your that English is not your first language, so you're not from the UK. Uh, where do you come from? Well, I um, was born in Slovenia, and I grew up there. And uh, but my parents are Montenegrin, so basically, this is yeah, this is where I'm from. Okay, yeah. So when you meet people from the UK, mm-hmm. so let's say you're at a party or something here. Yeah. And they hear and they start speaking to you. Yeah. What does it? What does the average English person say to you when they meet you? Um, so they would usually say, "Oh, where is your accent from?" It's usually, "Are you German or are you French?" That's oh, what really? they usually get. Yeah, which is quite interesting. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that the people aren't so familiar with Slovenia. Yeah, they wouldn't know it now. If they don't know, I would just usually say, "Oh, it's next to Croatia," or maybe for the older generations, they would know if I say, "Oh, it's uh, one of the republics um, in you know the former Yugoslavia," and they would know former usually. Yugoslavia. Yeah, so yeah. South, you know, South Europe, Southeast Europe. So they would kind of. I was just thinking to explain this to people, who, just in case they don't know where it is. You know, because people listen to this all over the world. Uh, imagine being in Venice, right up in the north of Italy, and you just yeah. kind of keep going east yes. a little bit, just yes. for a few hundred miles, and then you'll you'll eventually hit Slovenia. It's basically a four-hour drive to Venice from where I'm from, from my hometown, and then I guess to Vienna, it would be as well, like a three-hour drive. So it's quite kind of, um, it's it's I don't know, it's in the middle of like, uh, so it's between Croatia. Um, Italy, Austria, and Hungary. So it's Croatia, Central Italy, Europe, Austria, more. Hungary. Yeah, yeah Central Europe. Yeah, yeah but like on Central. just with a tiny yes. little bit of Mediterranean coast. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, then. I was going to say, tell us a few things about Slovenia. Well, what's the uh, uh, um, what is the native language? Um, it's Slovenian, mm-hmm. and it's a Slavonic or Slavic language, and it's related to um, Russian, mm-hmm. Polish, mm-hmm. Czech. Slovak, um, but it's more similar to um, Serbian Croatian. Okay, now we've got Bosnian, Montenegrin, uh, etc. But let's say Serbo Croatian, and um, it's also quite similar to Bulgarian. Okay, Slavic language. Well. Yeah, Slavic language. So you're sort yeah. of in a language club. With those, yes, with yes, those countries. So let me put it like this: If there is, I don't know, a Bulgarian person, if they speak a little bit more slowly, I can understand eighty percent, even like more, maybe ninety percent. But then, um, if I listen to a Russian person or Polish, it's a little bit kind of like more removed. So I need to understand what they're doing with certain sounds to be able to kind of grasp you know, mm. what word they're using. So, so. it's, it's, it's a, you mentioned sounds. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is that the difference then? Isn't it vocabulary syntax? Yeah, so, sorry, I wasn't clear. Yeah. So basically because we've got, um, our words are very often the same. We've got this, they, they've got the same root. Yeah. But we might pronounce them in a slightly different way or maybe they use like um, a different sound. Like, uh, for example, um, in my language, we would use L mm. in a word, mm. but... But a Polish person would use the word with the same root, but instead of pronouncing it L, they would say U. So you need to know what mm. kind of how these changes work yeah. in different languages. And if you can crack that, oh my God, you can understand a lot. Wow. Actually, yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh, uh, do you speak any Russian? No, no, I'm afraid. No, I'm afraid. I, I would love to though. German or, I mean, is it just German. English? German as well. Yeah, I grew yeah. up um, kind of because uh, when you come from a very small country, you need to learn foreign languages. So my generation... Um, our first foreign language was actually German. 
Ah, yep. okay, that's interesting. So I'm going to ask you about like learning English in a second, but like, so how long have you been living in the UK now? Oh God, it's been like since 2008, I think. Okay. Yeah. So just so, over 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I thought it was longer than that, but uh, just yeah. over 10 years. No, yeah, then. I was 28. Yeah. 28? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, um, people probably ask you this all the time, like, why did you come oh, to England? Um, it's, um, yeah, it's a really interesting question because I'm an only child. So you can imagine my parents were not thrilled uh, mm. when I decided to move. But it didn't happen like overnight. First of all, I came here um, and I worked as a... Uh, babysitter, <laughs> yeah, um, a babysitter, and, yeah, as in kind of like um, an au pair. Um, and afterwards, I went back home, and then I just kind of, I really, really missed London, like really, really missed it. And then I came back. I decided to do a masters, and this is kind of you know one thing led to another, and yeah. then I just kind of found a job, um, and that's how I stayed here. But it all started with. When I decided to study English at university, it's been this kind of... I've always loved um, the language itself. I've always loved British culture, literature, um, series, um, films, anything. So it was just love of the culture that connects mm. you to the country. It's just, yeah. So when did you first start speaking English? The first class, English class I had, I remember I was nine. And we had like two lessons a week. Um, with one of the local teachers and our, Slovenian teachers, yeah, 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 and because I come from a very small town and it's a very small school, it was just like a proper village, yeah, you know, environment. And I, I remember one of the first things um, we learned was like coffee, tea, and I remember being just shocked that words could be spelled like that because <laughs> you mean my- spelt wrong. <laughs> Yes, it was just, I was like, what? And because my language is, you know, the spelling and pronunciation is very regular. So Mm. it's almost for every sound you would have a letter. So there aren't many irregularities. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But so you had your classes when you were nine. Yeah. And it was kind of like a bit of a shocking moment to see this strange spelling yeah, it doesn't just, connect with the for the pronunciation. Exactly. So I was just like, oh, first of all, it's you know, you your teacher drills kind of coffee, 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 and then it's just like, oh, the way we would see it is like, ah, it's or f f e e ah, because this is how we learn the spelling. It's just you would do it um, phonetically, because you know, for us, it's kind of really difficult, especially as a kid, to connect, um, you know, the mm. sound to the spelling mm. yeah. like for i think most of the learners it's it's a not- notoriously difficult do you reckon that's the the biggest difficulty with english one of the biggest difficulties spelling and pronunciation yeah. irregularities yeah. yeah 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 okay we can come back to that yeah. in a bit um all right so nine years old you're struggling to spell or pronounce coffee yeah how did that then become this thing where you you like you know how did your english how did you get your english to this level now um, so first of all, and just to all the lovely uh, people who are listening to your podcast and to all the lovely uh, learners of English, especially, um, it's a long journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like to say, oh, it happens, you know, very quickly. However, I think the most important thing is that you enjoy it. And you don't do it because somebody tells you to do it or because you have to do it. 
for whatever reason, but you have it has to become part of your daily routine. So what happened with me, obviously, when I was nine years old, I mean, you don't know, you know, what mm. you would like to do in your life. Mm. And, um, but maybe I always felt, um, uh, I don't know, what I heard in class was really interesting because sometimes I would hear it when I watch films. So for example, the word coffee, yeah. oh, this is kind of, you would recognize it then when you watch a film yeah. or when you watch a series. Um, and I just found it really interesting and rewarding that, oh my God, this is kind of, you know, this is actually being used. It's not just a teacher teaching you, you know, one yeah. plus three, which I've maths, I just always found incredibly boring. Abstract. <laughs> yes, just, exactly. Quite abstract, just sort of numbers. And you think, well, how am I going to apply exactly. this? Exactly. But then you, you're watching like, I don't know, what would it be like Seinfeld or something? Yes. And yeah. they're, you know, hey, George, let's get a coffee. And you're like, ah! <laughs> Um, which, which is interesting. That's like an I advanced. Love George, by yeah. yeah, Jerry. <laughs> um, that's uh, an interesting thing about English. That you know, it's one of the things that English has that n- not that many other languages have. Which is just that it's very pervasive. Yeah, it's in all the films and the, yes. the series. You know, and if you want to watch the big franchises like Game of Thrones or Marvel Avengers and stuff, then yeah. there's you know you're going to be coming across English there. So it's sort of like quite pragmatic in the sense that oh okay this is this stuff is all being used out there in the world but it's a yeah um there was just one more thing i wanted to say which is really important where i grew up everything is uh, everything you watch i mean most of the stuff i would say 95 percent um we don't have a voiceover but subtitles so you hear the language from an early age and that helps so much it does doesn't it yeah a lot of countries still don't do that yeah for for various reasons, like France, for example, yeah. there's still a lot of dubbing because the French language, you know, they they want to protect it. It's, yeah. it's French to an extent is like English in the sense that it's an international language. So yeah. France wants to try and maintain the standard and and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay, okay, then. So all right, so you started to notice words and stuff in films and things like that, and then what? What age? At what age did you? Like, what level were you then when you were about twelve? That's a very good question. So when I was 12, let me think, I was still in primary school. So Secondary, uh, isn't it? Um, well, you back call it home primary. is primary, but okay. that would be like um, middle school or something okay. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, we I remember like at school, we would, um, you know, you have like an affirmative sentence, a positive sentence, and then you make questions and negative sentences, um, etc. So, so I remember we were doing that. We did like um, the present perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the tenses etc but like uh, where i grew up um it was very grammar grammar kind of oriented mm. um so we did do vocabulary but we didn't so to say hone our like um speaking um as such so we didn't do any speaking exercises or that was kind of like of not of you know too much importance let me put it yeah. like this and then when i went to secondary school when i was 14 English was actually my second language, foreign language. Do you remember? German was German. my first. Um, and I remember we went through everything very, very slowly because, as I've said, it was the second foreign language. Yeah. And then I just thought, because I just did so many things in English, like I listened to the lyrics, 
um, I was obsessed with Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For our younger listeners, probably you have no idea who I'm talking about. Um, did you used to? Well, I was grunge? never really into that American grunge stuff. Oh, oh yes. Uh, I mean, a bit. Um, Nirvana, obviously. Yes. Um, but no, I was more, at that time, I was more interested in sort of the older stuff, like I was into the 60s and 70s stuff. And, and things like that. So I never really got into Pearl Jam and Sound, Soundgarden, but yeah. uh, you know, a lot of my friends did. You know. Oh, you know, all my mates at college or school had like you know Soundgarden written on their backpack. Oh yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Pearl Jam on their pencil case or something. Yes. So, I yeah. love Eddie. Right, yeah. yeah, Eddie Ved, Eddie yeah, Vedder, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so you kind of started to get interested in English because you were seeing it, yeah, in song lyrics. Just, it was things. just everywhere. So when you when you you said you did a lot of grammar and things, did yeah. you feel like you could speak English when you when you were learning grammar like that? So weirdly, because uh, at least when I was in school, I, I was a good student, um, but I wasn't mega motivated because that was not the cool thing. You know, you were mm. not. This was just not something you would do. And it just happened spontaneously without kind of, um, you know, putting too much effort into it. But what I would say when I was 17, I decided, well, actually, I can say stuff. And when I go and meet people who are not, who don't speak my language, I can actually communicate. And uh, so I decided I was going to go to university and maybe try and study. Okay. And you thought English could be the subject. Yeah, Yeah. because it was just something that naturally just felt, you know, it just felt the right thing to do. But, oh my God, I actually, it it was a a decision that when I started actually studying, I I almost regretted um, doing that. So uh, you went to a university in Slovenia yes. uh, to do a degree course yes. in English. Yes. English, English language. And literature. English language and literature. Exactly. So half of the course were, you know, just grammar, just different um, areas of grammar. Yeah. And the other part was literature. Okay. And so uh, you said you started to regret it. Why? Because... Do you remember when I said that um, English was my second foreign language? So I might have been quite good at, you know, talking and stuff, but I didn't have any um, explicit knowledge of grammar in terms of um, if I compared myself to most of the other students who had very good knowledge of of grammar. But but could could they hold down a conversation like you? Yes, they, they were just they were just amazing. All right. So hold on a minute. You said that you did grammar when you were at school, middle school, mm-hmm. uh, primary school. But it was quite it? low level. Just the kind of, basic yeah, sort just of elementary, very basic. elementary grammar yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay. And, and so, uh, 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 but you were able to speak. Yes. You mentioned just meeting people who weren't from Slovenia, yeah. right? Yeah. Are those, those are the people who you spoke to. That's yeah. How, is yeah. that how you developed your speaking skills? No, not really. No, it was just kind of, it just... It was like, you know, osmosis. It was just, it happened like naturally. It was just, But yeah. who, who were you talking to and how often were you talking to them? Not very often, but it would be when, you know, maybe I would go somewhere with my parents. Maybe, you know, we would go like to a seaside resort or somewhere yeah. and maybe I would meet people, um, you know, from, I don't know, from Italy, from France, from Poland. 
um yeah but that is that's not a high frequency of of practice yeah no and so when you joined the university course what yeah. was your spoken level of english do you think um i think it was upper intermediate pre-advanced yeah. if i yeah that's interesting how did you manage that um without actually speaking very much okay there is one little tip i would like to share and yeah. this will sound a bit odd but what i did a lot i used to talk to myself in english a lot mm-hmm. and i remember starting to do that this is really weird maybe because i'm an only child and nobody you know <laughs> lack of co- company like, i don't know how sad yeah this- i know <laughs> no i'm joking i'm joking not sad. Um, and uh, i remember i would just um yeah talk to myself and then i would just make up stories and I think it did make a difference that I did sound things out so they wouldn't be just in my head. And then I remember I started doing that when I was 10 and then I would continue doing that well, you know, in my kind of later teens. And then yeah. at some point I just realized, oh my God, I, I, I can actually say stuff. And I remember when I was like 10 or 11, I remember when I started doing this, I just, if I didn't know a word in English, I would just kind of make it up. What? It's just really weird. But this is still something I try and get my students to do. Yeah. So just run me through, run us through that if you would. Imagine (laughs) you're telling your students about this technique. Yeah. Can you, can you share it with us? So it's basically, for example, you think about something, for example, you did yesterday. Yeah. Or what you did this morning. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of um, start talking to yourself. You can do it in front of the mirror. Yeah. Or you can just, you know, lock yourself in your room. You can do it in the bathroom, in the toilet. Um, and people might think you're weird, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> exactly. The important thing is that things come out, yeah. that you vocalize them somehow. And if you don't know a word, it doesn't matter. Just kind of keep on talking. So uh, let, I'm just imagining. <laughs> so when you, when you don't know a word, meaning you want to express an idea, you yeah. don't know the word for it. So you would just like... Just find some words of something. something. A filler of some sort. You can use the word, you know. Thingamy Bob or <laughs> Thingamy Jig. Or actually, I noticed that our students don't use the words thing or stuff yep. enough, right? Yeah. They're both very useful words. And we use them a lot. Yes. Uh, but uh, people seem, they don't realize that thing, yeah. the countable one, and yeah. stuff, the uncountable one, are super useful words yeah, yeah, yeah. you can just use them anything and, yeah, yeah. and and finish your sentences with things like and stuff like that exactly which is like you know kind of covers everything doesn't yeah. it that's interesting talking to yourself yeah yeah bob's your uncle do you remember that but, was oh, your that, that was your favorite one still is my favorite one. Oh my god luke any any long-term <laughs> listeners will know that bob's your uncle it's yeah. a it's an expression though isn't it it's one yes. that people use yeah i just maybe use it a little bit more than than an others. average person yeah yes. maybe um <laughs> Okay, so yes. that's kind of how you got your spoken level of English up. But then you enter university and you realise that the other people on your English course, language yeah. and, and literature course, yeah. their English is better than yours. Yes. So if I if I compared myself like to to most of the other students, let's say they were well proficient when they started the course in terms of everything like sort of bilingual Uh, kind of i mean it depends how you define being bilingual Mm. but um very high level and um i have to stress here that because as i've said i come from such a small country everyone needs to speak a foreign language it's really important especially if you're a younger generation and um that was also the reason that 
you know, just the background, the, the, the situation, the circumstances basically push you to do, yeah. to do that. And there was another thing because I came from a very small town. It was just kind of like, it was, it was kind of almost like village environment. Yeah. And I wasn't competing with anyone there. But then suddenly when you go to the state university where people from around the country yeah. would kind of gather, yeah, that was a shock, I have to say. Suddenly you're competing on a national level. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was like that. Okay, and so what, what, what did you decide to do then? Well, I have to say the first year was quite a struggle, um, especially I told you I was like an okay student. Yeah. And, and suddenly, oh my God, <laughs> I failed an exam. Did you? Oh my God. Um, but the exams back home, I just, we, we've got a different system to what you have, uh, you know, what you would find here. Yeah. It's basically... Um, everything is clustered. Everything is done in the summer, like most of the exams. Oh, all so, the exams happen yeah. in one period. Yeah. So they're all clustered together in one yeah. period. Okay. Yeah. And um, so if you have a bad, if you're having a bad time at that time, <laughs> then just, you're screwed. But you've got like, it, it depends, like, but usually you've got like three or even four tries. Now, if you fail, you know, the fourth time, oh, that's, that's a problem. It's like you better go back to your village. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no more uni. For yeah. But you didn't. You no, f- I didn't. You, you passed was... on your second time. Yes, I did. I did have those. Uh, oh, my God. There was this really difficult exam in my third year mm. when we had to <laughs> translate into English and into Slovenian. And I remember, oh, my God, it was really embarrassing. But... Um, it was really easy to to make a mistake because you know you would get really stressed and sometimes the topics were really difficult and i remember our tutors would call them there were certain grammatical mistakes like a comma that would be referred to as a fatal mistakes oh god <laughs> and uh yeah it was just okay. that is something i'll never forget yes but it was very that course, I mean, me studying at university there, it was, um, it kind of, it makes you tougher. Yeah. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't explain it, but that was, it was a long journey. Yeah. Okay. It's were, been a long journey. When you were studying at university, were you, were you doing a lot of speaking in English? Uh, let me think. Um, not that much. We had one module, which was kind of um, like the use of English if I can kind of use mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Cambridge terms. <laughs> yeah. It was more like vocabulary, grammar. And then, you know, we discussed topics and stuff. That was twice a week, like two hours a week. I'm uh-huh. um, in the first and the second year. But like, apart from that, not that much. Um, actually, yeah. when, so when did you make the most progress in your English? Um, I think there must have been like a certain leap, I'd say, in secondary school where I must have kind of attained a certain level, like, um, let's say, like an upper intermediate level at some point. This is when you were, how old, teenage? Um, Yeah, I would say late teens, like uh, 16, 17, somewhere around there. And then, like, there was uh, the second kind of, like, let's say, like a jump uh, at university, but that was more strategic. I had to do it. So I had to start reading um, books, a lot of books. So there was more, like, reading input. Whereas before that... Everything I had was really listening. I see. That, that's all. But I read loads and I noticed a lot of... I started noticing phrases. 
um, and collocation. So I didn't just wait for things, you know, just passively, oh, whatever, you know, happens, mm. happens. But it was more strategic. And I think that is what makes one's English, you know, um, f you know, going all the way up to, I don't know, CP. So you yeah. can take like, you know, I can share a story, you know, my best friend who... Her English was intermediate mm -hmm. when she was in high school, so kind of lower intermediate. Uh, what age is that? That was um, when we were 16. Okay. So we, we were kind of like in the same class. She yeah. didn't decide to study English. So she's not a professional in those terms. She's not yeah. a teacher. Yeah. And then she went to the States for one month uh -huh. where she kind of unlocked her English. Yeah. It was really strange, but as if there was all this latent knowledge in her head. And then suddenly when she came back, she was talking. Mm. And then she started reading. She's an avid, like one of those avid readers. She's yeah. crazy. She's just a proper bookworm. Yeah. Unlike me, I would say, I mean, I, I do like reading, but not as much as she does. She's crazy. Yeah. And she basically managed to get her English up to the CP level, which she passed um, two years ago. CPE, C Certificate C of Proficiency in English. Yes. The highest certificate you can get. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, and we grew up together. So we had like basically the same kind of, you know, yeah, the same education. Same part. Okay. Yeah. But so for her, it was like going out to the States where yeah. obviously no one speaks Slovenian. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of a sink or swim situation there probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and still sort of investigating your learning of English here, yes, right? Of course. Did you ever have a sort of a eureka moment with English? Was there ever a moment where you were kind of like something clicked into place? Um. Yes. Do you remember when I told you that when I, I the way I would like talk to myself yeah. like a crazy person, and I remember once realizing, oh my god, uh, I actually I was talking to myself and I used the word approach. Approach. Yes, I remember that distinctly. Like, for example, to approach a judge, or it's a good approach. So, yeah. but I think the first meaning I kind of you know kind of get, got um, the, the, the meaning of moving towards something. exactly. Yeah. It was kind of like yeah. um, um, I remember. I must have been like 16 or 17 and I was like, oh my God, actually, how, how, why do I know this word? Where does it come from? Mm. I remember that distinctly. And that was basically when I realized, okay, maybe I do kind of learn stuff in, in a certain way that I'm not aware of, which was, yeah. What do you reckon? How do you reckon that happened? How did you learn that word? Now that you, you know, with the benefit of hindsight and experience. Um, I think I used to watch a lot of um, kind of uh, series with, you know, like happening illegal Le kind of legal you know. dramas and things. Yes. And it was like, oh, you know, you're on a like objection and stuff. These are the words that you learn mm. when you watch a lot of that stuff. Like, you know, yeah. with the, you know, with the defense attorney, uh, please <laughs> approach, approach the, the stand. Approach. Or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is kind of, yeah. And then because I, I remember distinctly like, thinking, oh my God, where did that word come from? And that was one of the moments I will never yeah. forget. Interesting. And so after university, you thought to yourself, I'm going to go to the UK. But you chose the UK, you didn't choose the States. Your friend chose yeah. the States. Yes. You chose the UK. Why? Because it's better, obviously, but... Uh, of course. <laughs> um, because... Lol, lol. Just joking, <laughs> American listeners, as you know. Anyway. Um, because I guess... Um, yeah, that's a really good question. But I think 
Um, when I did my course, it was very much based on, um, sorry, university course. Mm. It was very much based on British English, mm. British culture, like um, English literature, like British as in um, literature. Yeah. And that was basically the main pull, I would say. Okay. Um, we did have American literature, which I think is absolutely amazing. Mm. And um, yeah, so, but this was just one of the courses um, we did in American okay. English. Yeah. So you first came probably 2005, six, seven, something like that. Okay. So that uh, I came to, to, to the UK for the first time when I was 17 and I did like um, uh, a language course Oh, really? Uh, in Brighton. Yes. So this ah. was another uh, kind of thing because there are many layers to it. Yeah. Yes. But it was kind of, um, I did, I think, two weeks in Brighton. Like like one of the students who would come here. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it was, um, I was, we were really naughty. I mean, I was 17 and I remember, <laughs> <laughs> I remember like there were lots of Slovenians there and, yeah. you know, what did we do? Spoke Slovenian. Of course. But it was so much fun. Oh, my God. But it was everything, you know, obviously we did learn English and it does help you process and, um, you know, the language you've got. And it motivates you immensely um, to, 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 to continue studying. But it was just like the, the whole experience of, of the country and of the culture. I loved it so much. Brighton really is a, a, a fun town. Yes. Oh, my God. It was great. It was great. So and then you came back to work as a an au pair, a babysitter. Yes, that was in 2004. So that must have been pretty weird to be in someone's home, like a British person's home. Uh-huh. You're kind of in there being employed, but you're mm-hmm. sort of part of the family, right? Yeah, yeah, Did you yeah. stay in the in the person's house yes. as well? Can you tell us about that? Yes. So basically, I stayed there. Um, it was in Golders Green, North London, and I stayed there for six months and I looked after two wonderful little twins and they are from Kenya. Ah. So their mom, the whole family um, is from Kenya and uh, yeah, they're now teenagers. Can they you imagine? they oh, all God. speak English. Yes, very yeah. well. Very, very good English. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's a different sort of cultural experience yes. then if you're entering the home of a, of a Kenyan family living yes. in London. Yes. So that's a, well, an interesting mixed bag because mm-hmm. you've got like probably the, the culture shock of being in a Kenyan person's home mm-hmm. and also being in London as well. Yes. I'm going to ask you about England mm-hmm. or London more specifically. Uh, what were the things that shocked you if we talk about culture shock i don't know if it mm-hmm. is a shock it's like maybe a surprise or it's sort of it, either it makes you surprised or it makes you depressed or whatever but like what were the things that were maybe tricky to to deal with or differences um does anything stand out yeah it's kind of how people interact and those i guess unwritten rules so what's acceptable and what's not Mm. we come from you know um i mean we're all european and stuff but we do come i think our cultures are quite different Mm -hmm. in many ways i mean in many ways um, we're very similar but yeah i think it's how people interact and how much more people people here are much more private Uh whereas back home um people just kind of (laughs) um Taking someone's personal space, but I didn't mean that like in terms of like approaching someone, but just kind of. Um, that word again? 
<laughs> approaching someone. Approaching? Oh my god! You see? Oh my god! <laughs> just like still, still got it. Still got it, indeed. Um, but kind of like we're much more like in your face. Um, we just kind of we're much more direct, more like touchy, touchy feeling as well. Tactile, very um, kind of yeah. Because yeah, very different it, here on. It, I was going to say on this weird series of islands, but certainly <laughs> in the UK, yeah, there is a personal space thing yeah. uh, where it's not. We're not quite the same. Not the same as the Japanese who. You can't touch a Japanese person. Yeah. <laughs> my first... <laughs> but, my, yeah. I mean, that's a bit of a, maybe a, it's slightly extreme, but, you know, they don't hug each other or yeah. and kiss each other and stuff like that in the way that we do in Europe. Mm-hmm. But certainly in the UK, yeah, the, we, we like a bit more personal space. We get a bit uncomfortable when people sort of get up close and personal. So that's probably a difference. I've noticed yeah. that in France. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. I mean, just on public transport, for example, mm-hmm. every, you know, people are just bumping into each other and no one seems to care. Whereas mm-hmm. here, everyone's like, oh, sorry, sorry. If you, if you just, you know, <laughs> if you breathe on someone's shoulder, it's like, oh, sorry. And they're like, sorry as well. Everyone's like, sorry that you breathed on my shoulder. You know, speaking of, I, I just, I remember my first, when I came to Britain for the first time and I remember I met so many lovely people and I remember I, I met this Nigerian boy who was studying, um, you know, in, in uh, Brighton. And I remember we were walking down the street and he was very, very polite um, in general. And yeah. I remember like me s- stepping on the, on a banana skin yeah. and he was like, oh, sorry. I remember that was just <laughs> like, oh my God. Like I just, you know, it was just such kind of, He you know, said sorry because you stepped on yes, a banana skin. yes. Okay. All right. And in terms of probably in terms of the way that we communicate as well, there's also that sense of distance as well, yes. isn't there? Where we, we, um, what's the word? You know, a lot of hedging language, yes. yeah. indirectness and diplomacy in yes. order to make sure that you're not imposing yourself yes. or things like that. So, yeah. yeah, that may have taken a while to get used to. And kind of, you don't want to put someone out. Yeah. That's something that's quite, um, I had to learn that. To put someone out? Yes. Going to have to explain that one. Um, you need to make people at ease. So you need to try not to, oh God, that's... that's, that's to put someone out is a tricky one. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like to put someone in a situation where it's a bit difficult for them, right? Exactly. It makes them feel uncomfortable. So yeah. you need to predict, you need to think what you're going to say and do in order not to make them feel uncomfortable. And this is something that we usually don't do. Whereas here you have to understand these are, it's kind of like reading, not reading between the lines, but these are very subtle Mm. codes of behavior uh, which are uh, accepted. And it takes, I have to say, years to to kind of to master that. The one one I always give on this (laughs) podcast, and I've probably done it twice before, is uh, my wife... um, uh, my wife, well, right. When we go to visit my parents in uh-huh. in in uh, England, they live next to a castle. It's a fantastic wow. castle, wow. and uh, my wife really wants to see the castle. She'd loves to visit. She really wants to visit the castle, mm-hmm. but my parents don't really want to because they've done it before, and it's a bit touristy, <laughs> oh, and they okay. just want to stay in and drink tea with us, mm-hmm. right? And so my wife is, you know, we're emailing each other, and my wife says, "Hey, you know, why don't we go to the castle this weekend?" And my dad writes back going, yeah, we could go to the castle. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's just, but that's, yeah. yeah. So we could go yeah. to the castle and then it's probably something like, but also we'd like to, you know, catch yeah. up with you properly. Yeah. And then my wife reads the email and she goes, oh my God, we're going to go to the castle. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, are you crazy? Did you read the same yeah. email as me? Yeah. Yeah. There's no way we're going to the castle. Yeah. You know, the way that sentence was constructed, we could yeah. go to the castle, but, yeah. you know, There's, which means we, we don't want to go to the castle. It's just, it's, it's amazing. Like from the, just, you know, just how we communicate. It's mm. just all these kind of different shades of meaning. And this is something actually, um, some of my colleagues do at university, yeah. um, as part of sociolinguistics. Um, so how, you know, all these subliminal, like meanings what was that force called delta <laughs> do you remember what oh uh, yeah into um, into oh god it's Come on, illocutionary Luke. force Thank is you it very much illocutionary or yes yeah, Ill- yeah. illocutionary force. force what's that it's like it's like if if learning English is like becoming a Jedi, then illocutionary force is the thing that you're trying to achieve attain. It's it's what if it, it flows through the language and it binds our culture together somehow. Yes. But anyway, what is illocutionary force? It's the subtlety, the subtle shades of meaning. For example, what Luke's dad wrote, you can't take it literally. It um, you need to read read it in the context yeah you need to understand the whole context to understand that he actually did not want to see the castle for the 10th time yeah so like i got the elocutionary force uh, like my you know my dad wrote writing we could go to the castle but we quite like to catch up means no we don't want to go to the castle so that's the elocutionary force of that statement is we don't want to go to the castle so it's like you know it's like someone saying oh it's a bit chilly in here which means could you close the door please or could you turn the heating on Um, and things like that. So there's a lot of that going on in English, isn't there? Yeah. People saying one thing, but they kind of mean something else. And it's, Mm -hmm. you expect the other person to be able to decode what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. And it's, for example, my, one of my favorite examples, I would still use overgeneralization a lot. Like I would say everybody, all, um, it's just so, it's like a big part of me but i had to learn to curb that it's just like not uh, so i have to say (laughs) most of the people and it's really difficult especially when you're passionate about something so if i use too much of that i'm really sorry but it's still kind of such a big part of me we don't like too much passion (laughs) no no it's not like that don't be too enthusiastic (laughs) or passionate no Um. i I know i know yeah again i think that is something my wife does She's French. So there's a lot of like, you know, this never happens. This always happens. Yes, Everybody's yes, like, yes. no, no, no. You know, sometimes. Oh, that's weird though, isn't it? Why, why is that? That we just like tone it down a little yes, bit. Just yes. tone it down a bit. Yes. I guess mm. it's like a cultural thing because maybe showing your emotions excessively yeah. is not something that, I don't know. That's true. That's mm. true. There's, there's, there's the... For whatever reason, maybe it's because we are Anglican Protestants, mm-hmm. largely, mm-hmm. Um, that we kind of keep the emotions under control. That's the people call it stiff upper lip, mm-hmm. which is where you keep your emotions under control all, all the time. Don't lose control. Uh, mm-hmm. That's maybe from that kind of Protestant background. But also, I've heard someone tell me that it's it's after the Civil War. That we had, you know, uh, quite a long period of civil war where we were fighting each other all the time and that became unsustainable. And then after that, it kind of like diplomacy 
entered mm. the picture. And suddenly people realised that we're going to have to live together on this island. And so diplomacy was the, was the, the way forward. So, like, for example, season nine of Game of Thrones, <laughs> right? Because we've only had season eight, right? I don't, I don't watch it, but imagine season nine, they've decided, all right, let's stop fighting. We've got to try and get on with each other. No more killing. No one's going to watch it. No one's going to watch it. It'd be boring. But it's like you know, season nine, Game of Thrones season nine is all about just diplomacy and yes. people learning how to avoid slitting each other's throats yeah. every Conflict five. Conflict and yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So they, they develop like a, a, a sort of a, a complex linguistic sort of culture that it, that it's about sort of maintaining yeah. decorum. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so as a speaker of a Slavic language, mm-hmm. um, what were the major problems that you had with English then? Um, I think every Slavic or Slavonic speaker can tell you it starts with articles. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yes. A, an, and the, or nothing. <laughs> it's really hard. Uh-huh. Yes. It's kind of, it's... Yeah, it, it's still, for example, if you pin me down and if you kind of, oh, um, could you use maybe this instead? I'm not sure I'd be able to answer the question, you so know? So I test you on articles and yeah. ask you to explain all of the answers in yeah. the test. Yeah, but you know, you're not alone because when my students, when I do articles in class, there are mm-hmm. some cases where I'm like, mm-hmm. well, it's because it's a... It's because it's already been said, but then it, uh, it's like, yeah. yeah, not entirely satisfying. Yeah, it's very difficult to deal with articles. Why? Because you don't do articles in, in, no. in your language. No, basically we have no articles and this kind of the concept of an article is just completely alien to really? us. Really? Completely. So how do, you disting- how do you distinguish between like, you know, one thing and a number of things? Um, so what you do, you use um, demonstrative pronouns. So use this, that. Okay. Um, and these and those. This is kind of to distinguish between singular and plural. And, plural. and, um, and you would just say one instead of okay. um, right? Yeah. So we don't have... Um, and then plural would be expressed with an ending. Yeah. Um, and then my language is very... Like Slavonic languages in general are highly inflective. What does that mean? Oh, God, is that the right word? Or no, you, you mean, oh, my God, I need to Google no, no, it. You're the one who knows, ah! I mean, I, I think. Inflected Infle- language. Yeah, I think you're all right. Don't worry. Hang on. Fusional um. languages. <laughs> Fusional languages or inflected languages are, are inflected, a type of yeah. synthetic language distinguished from aggl- agglutinative <laughs> languages by their tendency to use a single inflectional morpheme to denote multiple oh, grammatical, syntactical, semantic features. Oh, it's just, it's very simple. So we've got a lot of inflections or cases if you want. So for those of you who are, I don't know, for example, German. Um, or who speak German, you know that you've got cases like nominative, genitive, dative, etc., etc. Yeah, I don't know about these things. Um, it's just basically an ending you put okay. to a noun. Uh-huh. And uh, it's just in English you would use a preposition. Okay. Whereas we have this ending that we tag onto. Because the only, the only sort of endings we put on our nouns are plural endings, aren't they, really? Yes. I think yes. that's it. Yes. Those are the only morphemes, inflections. Yes, in terms uh, of For grammatic. nouns. Yes. yes. Yeah, but you've got yeah. various to, to, to demonstrate different Exactly. Things. So you would use, um, 
you would use actually a preposition in my language as well. Yeah. But then you can't just use a noun in its base, like in yeah. its um, base form. Yeah. Base form, so to say. Yeah. But you just use an ending to <laughs> cement it that it is kind yeah. of that. It's a bit like in case, English. Yeah. It's yeah, because you, you you have the preposition and you have the the noun ending as well, as you said, to cement it. Like, can you know, <laughs> just to be clear, like in English we do that too, right? We do we do. I've been. You know, we've been talking for 40 minutes. Yeah. Whereas in French, it's we are talking for 40 minutes. Yes. Something like that. And, in my and language as well. It, yeah. yeah. And lo- most languages probably. But in English, we're like the verb and the time <laughs> expression, just to be absolutely clear. Um, um, yeah. So that's, uh, it's something that's very, uh, what I found really interesting. It's something that one of my, um, one of our lect- lecturers at university told us when I did my master's here. And he said basically that languages have got switches. It's when one switch is turned off, the other switch is turned on. So, for example, if your language doesn't have um, cases and these strange inflections, uh. they will have something else like articles yeah. and vice, vice versa. So, that's why that's what the linguists say, that there aren't any difficult or easy languages. They're all equally difficult or simple is just basically we're talking about different areas which are more difficult isn't it isn't it also like depending on where you come where you're coming from absolutely like you know for for an english person learning chinese it's going to be more difficult than an english person learning french absolutely in theory yeah Yeah. so it's for example for me I, i don't think it would be too difficult for me to learn polish or russian etc but then um i've been learning spanish for the last few years and um yeah it's kind of like i oh it's not a germanic language and i can you know you can tell basically i I can feel it it's just there are so many things i had to learn from scratch like um things that germanic languages don't have um, which was quite interesting um English being the sort of uh, melting pot that it is, mm-hmm. uh, do, do, does English have things in common with the Slavic language, with, with uh, Slovenian? I think being an Indo-European language, um, we do share a lot of, there are a lot of common denominators, things we share. Mm. I would say linguistically German is closer to Slovenian. It's just the, the way they evolved. It could be the proximity, like because German is quite close to Slovenia. Mm. Um, but it's also because English has evolved in its own way. That's <laughs> It's just, it's unique in it's, so many different ways. It's like a weird, crazy mutant, isn't it? Yeah. Between America... And the UK and like Australia down there, down yeah. under and like South Africa and Ireland and all these places. It's kind of like, let's team up this weird <laughs> ha- ragtag team of crazy people. Yeah. Have like sort of twisted the, turned the language into a weird thing, especially America, I think probably. Um, uh, um, okay then. So, yeah. so go, sorry, going back to articles, right? Yes. Do you feel like you're on top of it now? I'm not going to test you. But... <laughs> Please don't. Um, but I have to say, I have to, yeah, I have a confession to make. I do avoid teaching articles mm-hmm. if I possibly can. Um, what I try to do is correct my students yeah. if, if I hear it, because... Obviously, if you miss out an article, I mean, it's not like the end of the world, but there is something missing. Like, yeah. it's, it's as if you ate 
half of the word or something is just yeah. something it's like a little flag saying hello i'm an intermediate student yes, suddenly yes. Yep. even though i was ad- advanced a moment ago and now yeah. i dropped a few articles and it's like yeah yeah it's like when mario you know when mario <laughs> eats a mushroom yes he goes big <laughs> yeah and then when he bumps into a cooper trooper he goes do 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 and yeah. he goes all small again it's yes. like that yes it's it's articles are very important um and um I would say if I, um, in general, I don't think about it. I, yeah. I really don't. But every now and then I will slip, I would say. I, I, I'll be honest. Was yeah. there something that you did to help you learn how to use articles correctly? It's just noticing, reading. And what I would say, uh, especially in terms of um, w- when you listen to stuff, is just listening for the rhythm, for the sentence stress. Um, for um, for example, when you listen to a I don't know natural conversation, yeah, and then you see like um, there is a certain little gap where a, a word or space that you don't stress, and this is the article. So, for example, I don't know ball. So I'm stressing ball, but a ball, a ball, yes. Yeah. So and that thing to listen for that uh, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of a... <laughs> no, that's good. No, that's yeah. good. I think sometimes in learning English, when you're in that weird zone, yeah, that's the good zone to be in. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, talking to yourself or spending time listening for little glut- gl- uh, guttural noises yes. that people are making. Yes. And yeah, if it feels like it's crazy and weird, then you're probably doing the right thing. Yes. Because the, the, so many people don't, they're not willing to be weird. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's because they're not willing to do strange things, um, out <laughs> of the ordinary things, they they won't learn. So you've got to kind of innovate, yeah, yeah. in a sense to yeah. to to learn a language. I suppose it's just it's just you have to enjoy it and yeah. just kind of go out there and just if you don't want to talk to other people or you have no one to talk to um, in English, just talk to yourself. It's mm. great. It really <laughs> is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, so can we just go back to your, your story, the story of Amina? Yes. Um, so you, you're, you're working as an au pair in London at this point. Then you go back to Slovenia probably to kind of like, oh, what am I going to do with my life? Yes. And then you came back because you're like, I can't leave London. I, uh, yes. Right? Yeah. And then you decided to, well, when, when did you decide, I am now ready to teach uh, you know, people. When did you become a, the Jedi Master of English? <laughs> So basically, I started teaching before I started working as an au pair. So it was kind of when I was finishing my uni, university. So it kind of happened, you know, at the same time. And um, yeah, that's how I started. Teaching probably like one-to-one students, things like that. Yeah, uh, I used to teach actually kids for quite a few years. And I always say, oh my God, if you can teach kids, it's just, it's the best possible prep for you to become a teacher is just it's great yeah okay so then you you thought maybe i could teach english um oh sorry that was basically i when i was studying english at university so this is when i started teaching english to kids and they were like some of them were two years old can you imagine bless and yeah very kind of um very young and um up to the age of four and then i started teaching primary school kids and then kind of teenagers and then adults in the end okay okay and then you came back to the uk yes all right and what did you do then 
so funnily enough, when I, <laughs> when I uh, basically came here and I, you know, I started doing my master's course, I had to get a job, right? Yeah. And can you believe it? I worked in market research for about two weeks. Wait, you worked in market <laughs> research. research? Oh my God. What kind of market research? Nothing fancy. Call center grueling. It was. Wait, so you were one of those. Hello. Uh, <laughs> yes. uh, what were you, what were you, um, what was the, what, oh my God. Yeah. what kind of company was it then? So basically John Lewis. Yeah. Um, so um, John Lewis is a department store, a big shop where yes. you can buy almost anything. And it's and, quite an upmarket one. Yeah. And it's, it's a household name, right? Yes. In this country. So yes. everybody knows it. And it's, um, uh, I don't know, a brand you grow up with, right? Yeah. So basically, they were doing market research for John Lewis. So we had to ask questions um, to, you know, uh, to the people on the phone. And, you know, that's, they were the gathering data. Were basically. you cold calling people? Um, yes. Ooh. Ooh, and some of them were really would get really, really upset. Uh, so the, you're there at home. Yeah. Right. So some random member of the public is just sitting at home minding their own business and ring, ring, ring. And they think, oh, who is this? People don't normally call me on the telephone. This must be important. And they pick it up and they get you. And you say what? Yeah. It's just like, hi, I'm really sorry to disturb. But would you have a few minutes for me? We're just doing blah, 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 blah. And I was just trying to make small talk and just to. And I have to say, like, the number of nice and patient people I've really? come across. Honestly, they were willing to talk to me for half an hour. Wow. And I will never forget that. That's why um, if I ever get a phone call like that, I will take my time. It's just because I know there's this poor person, yeah. um, you know, doing the job and it's really hard. <laughs> Was that good for your yeah. English? Um, I did learn... A new word, yeah. the pronunciation, which is midwifery. <laughs> <laughs> How on earth did you learn that one? Go on, tell us what midwifery is, though. <laughs> well, I did know the word midwife. Yeah. And midwife is a specialized nurse who helps um, deliver babies. And midwifery is what you study. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How on, okay. Well, actually, I did say midwifery, and then one lovely lady corrected me. So I was like, okay. oh, it's midwifery. Okay. All right. All right. All right, then. So, all right. So you decided to come to the UK to, to do a master's? Yes. All right, then. So, master's degree in? It's applied linguistics. Yes. Applied linguistics. Yes. So you've got linguistics. We know what this is. It's the study of language and mm -hmm. how it works. Mm -hmm. Applied. You're applying linguistics to what? To either just any type of practice usually it's teaching but it could be translation it could be yeah these are the two major areas okay. my course was a little bit more shall i say theoretical some more linguistics like pure linguistics oriented mm -hmm. than some other applied linguistics courses which exist and are much more oriented towards teaching okay um, yeah uh, where did you do it bergbeck bergbeck college it's um yeah for those of you who, who maybe don't know, it's one of the um, colleges as part of the University of London. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. I see. Two years? One year? Two years. Two years. Part-time. Yes. Part-time. Because I found the job here. I started teaching here. Did you? Yes. So wait, had you also done a CELTA then? Um, I... Cel sorry, listeners. CELTA, Certificate in English Language Teaching to Adults, is the first certificate you do usually. Cambridge one. 
Yeah. Yes, I did my. Um, um, it wasn't Salta; it was the the other Trinity. one, Trinity. Trinity. Yes, Trinity. I did it in two thousand and um, God, two thousand six. Yeah, that was like I came here for one month. There were kind of a few trips. You came here for one month to to do the Trinity TESOL certificate. Yes. Okay. And then you went back and then you came back again and you did your master's and you worked for us. Yes. I say us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't work here anymore, but still. You worked at the London School of English part-time. Yes. So I I did my master's part-time, but I was working here full-time. Full-time. So you were working full-time and doing a a part-time master's. Yes. It's exhausting, isn't it? But it was quite common. It's not like a lot of, um, you know, quite a few teachers I know um, have done that. Okay. So, yeah. How was CELTA for you? Very stressful. Really? Very stressful. Because that was actually the first point where I... I realized, oh my God, I'm actually going to work on a par with a native speaker. It was scary, very scary. And because I hadn't been based like in London, I I, I, I kind of like, I I derived just maybe a week before I started the course. Yeah. And yeah, it was pretty, whoa. I was yeah. quite, yeah, I was stressed. Difficult, but you, yeah. you did well, I suppose. Well, I did um, try my best and yeah, I, I, I did quite well. Did you find that you were better than some of the native speakers who were doing the course? In terms of, you know, language analysis, and that's what I did for my, you know, first degree. So maybe I had more knowledge, but there were so many different things, um, such as the, obviously the intuition, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, that, you know, it's something that you need to develop over time when you live in the country. I see. So that's kind of, yeah. Did you do the Delta? Yes. Diploma in English language teaching to adults. Yes. Which is a bastard of a course. <laughs> yeah, it's quite intensive. Yeah. What, did you find it more or less or equally difficult as to, uh, than Funny. to <laughs> of it, uh, 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 difficult... <laughs> More or less difficult than, because more or less difficult (laughs) than the CELTA. Um, Funnily enough, I found it not easier, but less stressful, just because I basically, I'd already been teaching in the UK for quite a few years before I actually decided to do my Delta. Did you do your Delta at UCL? Yes, of course. Okay, so it's like the the, the whole club of us, because like I did it, Ben did it, Andy Johnson did it, you did it at UCL. Who else? Um, Magda did it. Um, There were a few. Laura? Um, Laura, yes, of course. Laura, and then now um, the new teachers that perhaps you haven't met, like this is the new generations, like generation. Charlie, etc., etc. Okay, yeah, yeah. then. All yeah. right. So you worked with Madeleine de Vivier. <laughs> yes. Okay. She's a character. Yes. I'd like oh to speak God. to her on this podcast. Though. Yeah. It'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, okay. So Delta, and then, and then you know that brings us up to those fun times when we were messing around in the teachers' room. Yes. Playing the idioms game. Yes. Oh my God. In I our do free time. That. Yes. <laughs> idioms game, listeners, is pretty easy. You just talk, and you try and put as many idioms into your <laughs> conversation as you can. Um. Okay, then. I mean, oh, I've got so many. What's it like being a non-native teacher? I have been, uh, I would say, blessed. I know it sounds kind of like over the top, but, you know, the number of amazing people I've met is just wow. 
and um, the amount of support I received um, is just I could I couldn't ask for more. So you mean talking from your colleagues and stuff? Yes, yeah. yes, okay. um, and also my students. Um, at first, they might be surprised. And they ask you a lot of questions, etc. But I have to say, it's been like, I don't know, ninety nine percent point nine percent like positive, really. Yeah. Really. Okay. What What are some of the advantages of being a teacher who has learnt English as a second language? Because I think maybe it's it's kind of it's something I had to go through, yeah. and perhaps perhaps understanding. What is very difficult that to a native speaker would be extremely simple. Mm-hmm. For example, I always give an example of a, um, of of. For example, you've got an object, you've got a shoe, and then you try to do something to the shoe. Like for example, you untie the laces and then you turn it around. You kind of what, what you, you do something with it, and then you ask your students to explain what's happening. Right. That is. Oh my God, that's so hard. Unless you, you know, you grew up here or, you know, have been living here for a long time and, you know, it's just, otherwise it's, it's really hard. Do you reckon that's just English or any language that would be hard in? That would be difficult in my language as well. I think yeah. I would find it difficult to, you know, but it's one of those things that, you know, people, I don't think, you know, think about. It's just not the first thing you would yeah. um, think of. To describe tying your laces is yeah. extremely tough. Yeah. So the, uh, you're saying that, we're giving this as an example of, just remind me. So this is something I would use. I remember when I when I used to teach my proficiency students in Slovenia and here, I would just do that. and To demonstrate yeah. the, the challenge. But uh, w- wait a minute, where were we? I was asking you about being a non-native speak- teach, uh, speaker who, who is a teacher. teacher yeah. Oh, so, yeah, the advantages that you have. Yes. Because so, you know what's difficult. Right, yes, yes, yes. that's it. That's so it. that's kind of... yeah. Yeah, so that would be, I guess, one of those things. Or, but then again, I am, I guess, influenced by my first language. What's what was difficult for me, yeah. and uh, we all, all of us, had to learn through experience what is difficult for a French speaker, for an Arabic speaker. I don't know, for a Russian, Turkish speaker, Italian, etc., yeah. etc. Et okay, yeah. right now. We still haven't finished with your academic work because okay. you did your MA yes. in applied linguistics, but then also a PhD. Am I right? <laughs> I'm still doing it. You're still it. doing it. <laughs> oh my Which God, it's, so- it's the same story for lots of PhD students. <laughs> oh, God. Tell us about a PhD because not everyone will know. Like, how is it possible for all these PhD students that I meet to just be always doing a PhD? I know. Um, it's, um, I think. Anyone who has attempted it or who has finished it successfully, etc., will understand what I'm talking about. So it's just, it's one of those things. First of all, my first challenge is because I'm working full time. And if I don't do the work every week, like a little bit, you just lose the thread. You just kind of forget about stuff. You forget about the detail. And it's that sort of work where you can't just, oh, you know, I'm going to sit for five minutes and just kind of like try and remind myself what, you know, what I read about like three weeks ago. You really need to get into it. And after some time, we're getting back to the talking to yourself. Yeah, I get to that mode where I start talking to myself, explaining stuff that I've read, it's kind of like I'm trying to kind of synthesize, 
help me. <laughs> Synthesize. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> uh, what I've read and then to kind of make sense of it in my head. It's really weird. Oh my God, this is something that I've been doing all my life. Well, you're I've just talking realized. to yourself. <gasps> this yeah, is but therapeutic. It's obviously, it's obviously working. Yeah, it's therapeutic. It's, That's it's like therapy. Another another function of the podcast. And basically, it's just um, it, 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 it. There is a lot of work involved, and you don't have deadlines that you would have like when you do your masters, and you are left to your own devices. Really, like there isn't mm. much. Um, you know, you have to do the work. Got to motivate yeah. yourself. Yes. Procrastination. Oh God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> What's your PhD about? So what I'm interested in is how Arabic learners of English recognize words in their second language in English. So Arabic speakers, you, you, you heard me like hours and hours ago <laughs> mentioning, saying, oh yeah, Arabic speakers, this is going to be one for you. And they're all going, when is, when is he going to talk about, when are they going to start talking about Arabic? Well, now after an hour and 15 minutes. So sorry, your, Arabic, your, your PhD is about the problems that Arabic speakers have when they are... Um, when they uh, read in English. Reading. Yes. Principally reading. Yes. Okay, so what kind of... Uh, tell us about that then, if you can. Okay, so um, let me first of all try and explain where, where it kind of uh, comes from. So when I came to London, there are certain nationalities which are prevalent in the classroom. So we get, for example, a lot of Brazilian students, a lot of Italian, French students, Japanese students, etc., etc., and a lot of uh, students from the Middle East, especially from um, Saudi Arabia, from the Emirates, etc., um, etc. Et and um, I've noticed that a lot of my uh, Saudi students wanted to study here. They wanted to do their master's, etc., and um, I've noticed in the classroom, they're amazing communicators. So they speak so well. They communicate with such ease. It's amazing. And their listening is very, very good. What they perhaps lag, where they kind of like lag behind is the reading and the writing. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, if you want to study in this country, it's all about reading and writing. And this is where, where basically where it all, um, you know, how it all started. I, I just wanted to help them. I wanted to understand, you know, what difficulties um, they're facing and if there is anything, you know, we can do okay. about it. So, mm -hmm. so what are the difficulties that they face? So first of all, I think we as teachers don't quite understand what it's like to have a writing system which is completely different from the Roman alphabet. And I'm not just talking about, you know, writing from right to left. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you're Arabic. If you're Arabic. Left to right for us. Yes. Um, it, it's not only that. It's so much more. It's um, the lack of vowels that you would write down in Arabic. It's the structure of, of sentences. So, for example, in Arabic, you wouldn't necessarily use capital letters and punctuation, not in the same way that we would use yeah. in English. And this is just to, to, to begin with. And then there are so many other things which are so different because we just come from very different linguistic backgrounds and just because the conventions are extremely different. Right, different. okay. Do you also propose sort of solutions to those problems? Yes. We, so basically, I think what would often happen is like, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but as a teacher, we would often ask our students, especially when we do academic English or IELTS, we would ask our students, oh, just, you know, skim the text. I'll give you three minutes. Mm -hmm. But we don't give students a tool 
um, or something to help them, uh, first of all, to read the words successfully and to do it very quickly. So it all boils down to reading words accurately. So not focusing on the whole text, but just kind of like, let's start with with the words. So um, what I propose is especially uh, when you've got academic words, break them down into syllables. That does wonders. Second thing, I would um, I would suggest um, our students to highlight vowels. Yeah. Um, because the consonants uh, will be quite self-explanatory. So vowels and consonants, just in case you've forgotten, listeners, because obviously mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> vowels are A, E, I, O, U, mm-hmm. and the consonants are all the other ones. Yes. Right. Okay, so so in in Arabic, I don't know Arabic at all, but they don't write the vowels into the in their writing. Then is that correct? Yes, short vowels like um, most of the short vowels okay. wouldn't be written down. Some vowels are, uh, but for example, short vowels are indicated, but they're not spelled out the uh-huh. way they're done um, in you know in our languages, for yeah. example. And so that's these are two things which are very very important. And one more thing. Instead of when you see a word, so it's really good to compare words, to see patterns, to see the letter sequences instead of just seeing words in isolation as a combination of just random letters. So, um, for example, that you can see, oh, um, enough and tough. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. Like so much inconsistency in terms of yeah. like pron and spelling, yeah. but there is a pattern. They're pronounced in the same way. They're spelled in the same way. I mean, the last bit mm-hmm. and try to notice that. Right. So it's about noticing. Yeah. Noticing patterns, maybe yes. helping the students group certain similar words together. Exactly. Just playing with spelling, like removing all the vowels. They've got to put the vowels back. Yeah. Yeah. Splitting a, a word idea. up into syllables and they've got to try yep. and put all the syllables together or something yes. like that. And um, there was one more thing I forgot. Um, oh, it will, uh, it will come, come back. back. But these are you. kind of, yeah, these are. Are these, are these mm. things that people can do on their own or is this stuff that, that uh, teachers have to do? I think teachers could set an example. So, and um, maybe, especially like breaking words down into syllables, um, you can definitely, um, students can do it at home, but then maybe show it to the teacher yeah. as well, just for example, to check. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it, it would be difficult to do it on your own, I suppose, wouldn't you? You'd need to get someone to help you with to help it. You out, yeah. but, but if an Arabic speaker is interested in this kind of thing to improve your reading, you could try that as an example. Yeah. Take a bunch of words and just try and break them down into syllables, like use a line to just divide yes. the word into different s- syllables. Maybe which one is the stressed one? Notice the vowels you know, being used and, yes. and try and maybe uh, the, the vowel in the stressed syllable how is that vowel pronounced? Try and group words based on how the vowel is pronounced in the, in the uh, stressed syllable, right? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Like the sort of stuff you get in English file course books <laughs> where yes. they ask you to categorize different things by their sounds and, and spelling or things like that. Um, and also, for example, my, I'm just checking my, um, my app. I've got this Oxford Learner's Dictionary and I think they, they do divide the words into syllables, especially longer words. So uh, they will kind of... 
So using the Oxford Learner's Dictionary, you yeah. can actually see the words broken down. Yes, it's Oxford Advanced Learner's Dictionary, o for example. Oxford Advanced yeah, yeah. Learner's Dictionary, yeah. And I think a lot of dictionaries also, like online Cambridge dic dictionaries as well, they break the word down into syllables. Okay. Yep. All right, then. Amina, I could just keep going and talking to you for ages. Um, we've been talking for an hour and over an hour and 20 minutes. Wow. And I, I, I'm sure that my listeners have been enjoying this. Because there's a lot, you know, there's, you've, you've had a lot of experiences and uh, learned English very successfully and all the, all the rest of it. So, you know, this is, it's very interesting talking to you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And just to say hi to all your listeners. Yeah. And don't give up and just talk to yourself like a crazy person. Any, any other things <laughs> that like just, just like what are the most common pearls of wisdom that you give to your students obviously talk to yourself like a crazy person and stuff like that any other little pearls of wisdom before yeah, we go just, um this is kind of just it's for everyone uh, i as i do most of my research on my um lovely arabic learners i usually encourage everyone to just read on a daily basis read your it doesn't matter instagram um you know feeds anything that you're interested in it doesn't have to be a boring book or yeah. something like that that you're not interested in. read about cars cooking oh my god anything anything films music anything you're interested in and um just kind of try and do it uh, for example you start with five minutes a day and then try you know um i don't know then maybe by the end of the week you can read about 10 minutes a day and just keep it up and just do it every mm. day um and then when you watch tv try to find something on netflix like i don't know five minutes of a sitcom and um you know try to spend the first when you listen uh, to the first part for the, uh, to the first minute yeah um, god to the first five minutes yeah first of all without the subtitles yeah and then when you do it for the second time with subtitles yeah. and then the last time again without subtitles it's just like five minutes and mm. in total it will be 15 minutes and that will do wonders every day or like regularly maybe regularly yeah, maybe yeah. not okay yeah. amina thank you thank you thank you and um thank you luke yeah what should we do now um, is there, isn't there a pub? Happening? Yes, there is like this prohibition bar. Do you know what that is? Prohibition bar? Yes. Do you know what that well, is? Well, I know that there's there's a pub up the road, the, um, what's it called? The, Lad, the Ladbrook? Yes. The, which is the, the traditional pub that uh, we always used to go to. No, that was the castle. Ladbrook? No, no, no? there's the... Oh, the other one. There's yeah. the castle on the yes. corner, but then there's like the, the one that... The, the, the older generation used to enjoy going to. Yes. I'm talking about things like Dave Clark. <laughs> oh, my do God. Do you remember Dave yeah, Clark? Yeah, of course I do. Who, who was one of the writers of, what is it, uh, Grammar for Business. Yes. That uh, grammar book that many of the listeners may have used in the past. But uh, Dave Clark and various others used to get together at the Ladbrook. Oh, and the okay. castle as well is on the high street there. Yes. But, um, What's this prohibition bar? The prohibition bar is one of those places that's supposed to kind of like, I don't know, mimic the 1930s kind of like Al Capone era places when um, alcohol was banned. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that? It's just like, oh my God. So this is, the, this is uh, in the 20s or 30s in the United States, yeah, pr alcohol was pr prohibited. And so you got these kind of speakeasy bars yes. where they would be illegally drinking alcohol and then the police would arrive and they'd all, you know, have yes. to run away and stuff. 
so there's a bar uh, that's open that's like a it looks like a, a prohibition era illegal yes, bar inside but the point is that it doesn't say anywhere that it's a bar so you need to know where it is and then you knock on the doors and then there is a dodgy guy opening the door and then you have to give him a code a coded like sentence Shut up. <laughs> no really? seriously yes and then if you say the right thing they will let you in and they actually make money <laughs> Yes, you would be surprised. Yeah, I that am was surprised. all the rage. Like I don't know, two years ago. Yeah, is it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is the most yeah. ridiculous sort of marketing <laughs> marketing plan, isn't it? Like, okay, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to open a new bar, but here's the twist: no one's going to know it's a bar. No one's going to know where it is, and you're not allowed in unless you've got a special code. Yeah, it's like, are you crazy? <laughs> Normally, they're very successful normally yes. bars do the exact opposite where they're like we are a bar look come in everyone everyone's welcome do you remember subtlety subtlety yes. subtlety yeah yes okay well maybe we'll go there and uh, have a, pro, a a cheeky pint yes yeah now I'm not sure they serve pints I think it's more like cocktail-y oh. thing because it has to be kind of you know oh really yeah the 1920s 30s <laughs> it sounds like thing. a pain in the neck this place <laughs> do you think it would work in Paris uh yeah probably <laughs> yeah any kind of concept like that any clever yeah, little cool, cool clever concept is gonna work um alright Emilio let, let's let's finish this now thank you again and um you know speak to you again soon I, 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 I'm terrible at ending these I don't. I just don't know how to end them. You've done a great job. I'll just say that's me. it. Yes, that's it. Then. That's great. Okay. Thank you, Luke. You're welcome. Bye, everyone. Bye, bye. So that was Amina Tuzovic on the podcast. I'd like to say thanks again to Amina for being a guest. I think she's great and an inspiration for any language learner out there. An example of someone who's managed to learn a second or even third language to a proficient level. Um, the comment section on the page for this episode on teacherluke.co.uk is open, so you can share your thoughts there. I've got some questions for you just to give you some inspiration. So you could maybe answer these questions if you're thinking of you know, how to, how to write your comment. So uh, what did you find inspiring in this episode? Any particular details of Femina's story that you found inspiring from a language learning point of view or just a general life point of view? Um, secondly, are there any specific little tips that you could apply to your learning of English? Anything that Imina did that you could do too? And thirdly, do you have anything in common with Imina? You might not come from the same place that she comes from or have lived the same life as her, but maybe you'd notice certain things about her personal story that uh, you can relate to. So anyway, do you have anything in common with Amina? That's it for this episode, then more or less. You can expect some more episodes recorded in London, because I was in London at the weekend. You can expect more episodes recorded in London to be published over the coming week or two, as well as the third part of the little series that I'm doing about 88 English expressions that will confuse everyone. So part three of that series is going to come soon as well. Also, premium content is coming soon. It will be premium episode uh, series 18 and a chance to broaden your vocabulary and develop your pronunciation as usual with help from me, of course. So to get access to the premium stuff on a computer and in the Luke's English podcast app, sign up at teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. So that's it then. This is the end. Well done for listening all the way through. You might not notice it, but this will have improved your English that little bit more. 
especially if you were really paying attention all the way through. I'll speak to you again soon, but for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.